he will become a king, a universal monarch. But if he goes forth from a house to a houseless life, he will become a fully enlightened Buddha. Sutodana resolved that his son should dwell in a house, and by all means he must be prevented from becoming an ascetic. The chieftain would surround his son with pleasures and keep him away from all monkish influences. Siddhartha grew up in splendid palaces, waited upon by bevies of pretty young women. According to a statement credited to Gautama Buddha himself, after he attained Buddhahood, I was delicate, O monks, extremely delicate, night and day. A white parasol was held over me, so that I should not be touched by cold or heat, by dust or dew. I had three palaces, one for the cold season, one for the hot, and one for the season of rains. When he reached the proper age, Siddhartha was married to a beautiful cousin, and the good life continued until his twenty-ninth year. Then a radical change occurred. In what is probably one of the earlier versions of Gautama Buddha's words, we read of his emerging thoughts about old age and mortality. Then, O monks, did I think thus. An ignorant, ordinary person who is himself subject to old age, on seeing an old man is troubled, ashamed, and disgusted. I, too, am subject to old age, not beyond the sphere of old age. And should I, on seeing an old man, be troubled, ashamed, and disgusted? This seemed to me not fitting. As I thus reflected on it, all the elation in youth utterly disappeared. Siddhartha saw that sickness and death await us all. His elation about life vanished. In particular, his upbringing taught him to believe in continuing rebirth throughout endless ages to come. In this context, the prospect of eternally repetitive sickness and dying became horrendous. Gautama Buddha later remembered that as the young Siddhartha, he then began to ask himself if there might not be a way out of this common human situation. Thus, O monks, before my enlightenment, being myself subject to birth, I sought out the nature of birth. Being subject to old age, I sought out the nature of old age, of sickness, of death, of sorrow, of impurity. Then I thought, what if I, being myself subject to birth, were to seek out the nature of birth, and having seen the nature of of the wretchedness of birth, were to seek out the unborn, the supreme peace of nirvana. Some Pali sources even involve the ancient Indian gods 
in a more dynamic account of Siddhartha's quest. Here the gods determine that the young Siddhartha must be freed from the cosy cocoon of a prince's life. As Siddhartha set out to drive to one of his pleasure parks, the gods thought the time for Prince Siddhartha to attain enlightenment is at hand. So they made a god appear as a man, worn out with old age, with broken teeth, grey hair, bent with broken down body, a stick in his hand and trembling. Siddhartha's charioteer also was a god in disguise, and he informed Siddhartha that an old man was approaching. Siddhartha cried out, Woe to birth, when the old age of one that is born shall be known. Siddhartha returned to his palace in an agitated state of mind. His father immediately set up guards all around the palaces and added further luxuries. But the guards were not to be denied. They again approached Siddhartha, disguised as a sick man, then as a corpse, and finally as an ascetic who had found peace within mortal suffering. The die was cast. Siddhartha now decided to become an ascetic. He returned to his palace, at peace within himself, only to learn that his son had been born. He declared, Rahula is born. A bond is born. Thus Siddhartha had become bonded to the ordinary life of man. But he refused to be bound to the ordinary world any longer. With the connivance of the gods, he silently bid goodbye to his sleeping wife and son, fled the palace, and became an ascetic. Siddhartha reportedly spent six years as an ascetic. He became a disciple of two noted ascetic masters. Under their tutelage, he achieved the so-called trance of nothingness. Then he reached a trance that's called neither perception nor non-perception. Both of these trances would later be incorporated into a series of Buddhist meditational states. But the Buddha-to-be said to himself that these two trances aren't enough to fully escape the ills of ordinary life. Neither of these attainments conduce to aversion, absence of passion, cessation, tranquility, higher knowledge, nirvana. Because these teachers had not shown him the true path to nirvana, Siddhartha joined five other extreme ascetics in an effort to achieve a supreme spiritual state. Extreme asceticism was well known in the Brahmanical and Hindu religious culture of that day. According to our sources, Gautama Buddha later recalled this experience in these words. Then I thought, what if I now set my teeth, press my tongue to my palate, and restrain crush and burn out my mind with my mind. Then I thought, what if now I practice without breathing? What if I refrain altogether from food? What if I were to take food only in small amounts, as much as my hollowed palm would hold? Juice of beans, vetches, chickpeas, or pulse. For six years, 
Siddhartha practiced severe austerity and extreme mortification. Some observers reported that the gaunt and debilitated ascetic was dead. Later images by Buddhist artists make the ascetic Siddhartha look like a skin-covered skeleton. My body became extremely lean. The mark of my seat was like a camel's footprint. The bones of my spine, when bent and straightened, were like a row of spindles. As the beams of an old shed stick out, so did my ribs stick out. In my eye sockets was seen the deep, low-lying sparkling of my eyes. When I thought that I would touch the skin of my stomach, I actually took hold of my spine. When I thought I would ease myself, I thereupon fell prone. I stroked my limbs with my hand, and as I did, the decayed hairs fell from my body. One fact about this experience stands out above all else, and it is the key to understanding what Buddhism is all about. While holding his breath as a technique to control his body, Gautama felt as though a strap were being twisted ever more tightly around his head. But to his surprise... Such painful feeling as arose did not overpower my mind. This was the important clue. Clear mindfulness, not the pain of ascetic practice, is the key to spiritual understanding.